to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We're going to be looking at chapter one of Daniel. Last week we covered just some background information, some introduction stuff. Um, There's still a whole piece of um, stuff that I really, I'll, I'll bring it out next week as we go into this next little uh, story. Um, chapter one's pretty unique. Um, it kind of sets the stage. Um, you have a beginning and, and then you have an ending um, in verse 21 there that God was very specific about and clear about. Um, and last week we looked at some of the initial background information uh, and, I, and we have a slide up there and so three or four people said, hey, I really uh, appreciate that because it helps me understand as I'm reading through the Old Testament particularly um, to understand when he's speaking through this uh, prophet, where was Israel at? What was going on with the relationship between God and Israel? And that's kind of difficult because the Old Testament is not um, set up chronologically. So some of the things we're reading about in Daniel, so you know, if you, if you kind of think of the Old Testament, is, uh, it was always helpful to think of, you know, you got Psalms and Proverbs, it's kind of that, that big middle uh, piece of the Bible. And then if, if we're not careful, we kind of think of Psalms and Proverbs as kind of the middle of the Old Testament, and then beyond that, you get into those prophets. Well, sometimes some of the things that are happening in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Nahum, Obadiah, it's actually, if you go back to Second Chronicles and Second Kings, um, there's things that are going on simultaneously. In the same way that the book of Job, which is several books in the Old Testament, Job actually happened probably in Genesis 11, Genesis 12. So he was, he was alive probably before Abraham. So when you look at that, uh, those are some things chronologically. The Old Testament's not set up that obviously in the New Testament also. But uh, it would help to understand that as you're reading those books. Because sometimes you're like, man, God woke up a little angry this morning with Jeremiah and this people. And sometimes it's like he's rebuking these people. And so you've got to remember also that sometimes God is allowing, um, because of Israel's sin, God is allowing another nation to come in, an enemy to come in and take over Israel or to destroy them. And early on, there would just be these warring tribes and warring countries that would destroy some things, and they didn't necessarily take the people off. Well, when we get to Daniel, um, it's now um, you've got Babylon coming in, and, and they're going to take off um, the first wave of captives. And so um, we see that. But on this, this first thing, just understanding, so on the far um, left for you guys, God, uh, God's people, Israel, um, split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So before that, we had you know Saul, David, Solomon those days, and that that, that the whole Jerusalem, the kingdom of David. That's what they've been waiting for. They were promised that there's going to be a future king, a Messiah who would have an everlasting kingdom that would come in in the reign like David. So what are what are the Hebrews thinking? Let's get it back to that day because we've had some enemies come. We've been attacked. Where's Messiah? Where's Messiah? We want. 
the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. We want the temple. We want the most powerful government. Messiah is going to come and bring his powerful government on this, this earth. And so, um, and then, bad news, that doesn't happen that way. Israel gets uh, split to the Israel, the northern kingdom. So as you're reading those books, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Amos, and there's others, again, Second Chronicles, and, and you can see there, when they're conquered by the Assyrians in 725 B.C., um, I think that's like in Second Kings um, 17 or something. So there's other things before that the Bible's speaking about, and, and, and you're tracking through, the, they're chronicling. So that right, that's a writer who's chronicling those things, and, and they're writing about, here's the kings in Israel, and then you go into Jeremiah, or any of these, uh, those, those books up there, the, the major and minor prophets, and, and you see, sometimes God was speaking through that prophet, Elijah, to his people Israel. And then sometimes in the middle of a book, the next chapter, in the middle of a chapter, God stops and says, hey, hey Jeremiah, tell my people this. They are still full of sins. I should destroy them. He pauses, and then he turns and starts talking to king of this enemy. I'm going to waylay you. How dare you come and do this to my people Israel? You've done all these bad things. I'm going to destroy you. You think you're so powerful and mighty? And so it's like, man, who's he talking to? So that may help as you're, you're going through. In the south, the Judah with Judah in the southern kingdom, um, the Syrians come in and conquered in 725 B.C. So um, then what, when we get to the, the part about Daniel, it's much later, and this is when the Babylonians come in. And so up to that time, and I may have a slide on that also, um, where um, that in just a second where it shows um, the major powers of the world. But at this point, as, as we're looking at the book of Daniel, I hope that sets some background. And as you're reading at home and seeing things, maybe that will help in your understanding of Scripture and God's um, revelation across um, the, the, the Old Testament. I hope that helps in his redemptive history. You're seeing how that works out. Um, it helps us on who God is speaking to, also what God is doing and saying in particular times in redemptive history. Um, and then that helps us in our day to go, oh, I see how that fits in with what God was doing in bringing Christ, the full revelation of Scripture, the New Testament, and Christ, right? So now I see why in Leviticus it gets crazy. Oh, all that was a sign, a symbolic picture of sins needing to be atoned for. All those rituals, all those little, little tiny details are not things that we have to live out and practice today because Jesus come, the full revelation, and he was our sacrifice. He was the sacrifice on the, on the, um, the altar. And so um, one of the, some of the, the key themes that we're going to see here, the central message throughout um, the book of Daniel, God is our only redeemer and savior, our faithful covenant God who is in control when all things seem out of control. And that may be help to you as you're coming through 2020, going into 2021. Um, God's redemptive future is pointing to an unfolding in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, we also are going to have some hermeneutical and interpretational challenges. Uh, remember, Paul, Paul Tripp said this, Daniel's world is a world of trouble. It's a world of injustice, oppression, idolatry, danger, political corruption, war, and various other kinds of trouble, but it is not a world that is out of control. When, that, when your phone's lighting up and you're getting the little beeps of, of you know, new news that's popping up every hour, or you're seeing tweets and you're seeing things that are going on, you hear from coworkers or friends, just remember, it's not out of control. It feels like it at times. When it hits us personally, it really feels out of control, but this God has not left his throne. 
And all along, we've had the grace that he's had for us, just like with Daniel. And now we have the full revelation of Christ. So um, some of the hermeneutical and interpretational challenges, uh, remember, we're always here at Sojourn. We're gonna, we want you to understand the author's intent. So uh, a human writer talking to this audience right here in this time in history, he was, God had a, a, a certain message for them at that point. So the original audience, author's intent is always huge. Um, so... Then secondly, uh, I was going to go into uh, why it's dangerous taking stuff out of context. Um, then secondly, from author's intent, then God had a plan for all time readers that may not be specifically the message for them that, that, was, that was working out practically in their lives, but God had a bigger picture that it, it, when he brings his full revelation of Christ in the New Testament, um, then it makes sense fitting in with that. So we've got to understand um, the author's intent both original audience, but also God's all-time message. And we also have to understand as we're interpreting and reading different pieces of Scripture that different authors use different devices, so literary devices. So whether they're using um, um, different things to uh, paint pictures with poetic um, language, we have to interpret that as poetic. If they're using in Daniel or in Revelation um, apocalyptic language, we don't interpret that as historical fact. Right, and then if you're reading in certain sections and it's a um, historical narrative, will you read that as a historical narrative? They're not trying to be symbolic. They're, they wrote it in historical narrative. Here are the facts. We interpret it that way. Um, that gets dangerous when we begin to interpret with wrong rules. The writer had certain rules in mind, and, and we should interpret it with that. So just remember that. That, that some of you may be going, man, yeah, that's that's obvious. Um, well, there's two errors that, uh, and then also the, the last one is just a Christocentric hermeneutic. There's some really good guys who have brought out that sometimes, um, depending on what seminary you went to, or depending on what era that you grew up in, um, a couple generations focused on, and it fit with the generation. Um, the, the Bible is a book of rules that I would tell you, like today, for instance, in Daniel, Daniel's faithful. Daniel is resolute. Go be faithful. Go be resolute. Go be like Daniel. Good luck. I mean, don't need Jesus, right? No, that's not the message. And so, do we see that? Who's the main character in this story? Is, is it God and his glory and his grace always there before Daniel's faithfulness? So it's clouds of grace that God's doing, and then Daniel sees God's beauty and takes steps of faithfulness, right? Just like your life. It's not God saw, man, look at this guy. He's doing such great stuff. I want to show up now and help him out. And that, that sells books, and that works to grow churches, but that's not the way God works. So his grace is always, his faithfulness is always the peace before we take steps of obedience. And so we'll see that in Daniel. Um, two errors is making Daniel the, um, the, the hero of the story, um, or making um, eschatology. So we get to chapter 7 and beyond, and there, everyone has their different views, and they want to know, when, when's the end of the world coming? His disciples were asking him. Remember in Acts, when's the end of the world coming? What about all these things? Things. And so there's a lot of things that have happened since that time. And so if you looked at it as one of those pictures of a curvy road with all those warning signs on the side as it kind of builds and it curves and curves and curves, well, we've passed a lot of those. Some of the things that are recent, and I say recent in the last hundred years, is Israel becoming a nation state again, right? Uh, 1948. And so they become a nation state. They were always supposed to be a people with a land, going back to Abraham, right? People, promised people, promised land, promised Messiah. 
They're missing the Messiah piece, right? And so um, still to this day, there's some beautiful things that God has provided. There's, there's things, and you just have to be careful in your interpretation when they come out with bitcoins that you know, there it is, mark of the beast. Um, last a couple weeks ago, I showed the new thing. You know, drop your iPhone. It's that new wrist thing. You can actually just scan your arm. I don't get it. Don't get it. That may be the mark of the beast. Just know that you know Y2K barcodes. When all that come out, some people in church are like, "Don't, don't do that. Don't use barcodes." Well, I mean, you can't eat now without barcodes. And so, uh, just in history, people have done that. And so, be careful when you take you know a, a message, uh, one sentence out of Jeremiah, and apply it to a watch, right? Because um, we all love that iWatch or whatever it's called. And so we, we love that, but man, I don't want to be going to hell because of it, right? And so we, we got to get out of that kind of thinking. Um, last week as we looked at God being in control, one of the things that we saw, um, verses 1 and 2, just clearly, God did this. God wanted Israel to know, and he wanted the world to know us. He did this. He starts out very clearly. He goes, let me throw some names out. All, original crowd, Hebrews. You know Jehoiakim in the lineage of Hezekiah, the the good king. It's his great-great-grandson, Jehoiakim. You know, powerful man, leader of Israel. Man, you know Nebuchadnezzar. And then we went into the names, and then just subtly God throws this background information. God gave Jehoiakim and Judah into his hands. God gave. God was the main player. And so last week we learned that Nebuchadnezzar's name means, Oh God, not, not our God, but Oh God, Nebu, Protect the firstborn son. Protect the crown. O God, Nebu, Nebuchadnezzar, protect the firstborn crown. And so we, we saw last week that that is not our God, is it? And God's playing a game with the author there, uh, and the author's writing and playing games with, with even their names and the first thing to say, hey, this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, powerful military force, um, huge authority, he's just playing into my hands. Hey, pr- protect the firstborn son, you know what I do? I don't protect the firstborn son. I come and slaughter my son later on. Nebuchadnezzar, Jehoiakim, Daniel, they had no idea that here's the type of God I am. I will send my son and slaughter him on your behalf because you could never earn your way to me. So instead of protecting the son, I actually set up the scenario where he dies in the place of people. And so it's a little play on words there. Um, a comparison God wanted us to get was that one true God would not protect his son, but instead crucify his firstborn son. Daniel didn't see that at the time. They're looking for a powerful Messiah coming. These cultural crises that we're in, they are not new. The challenge is not new. So, so 2021, coming out of a pandemic, whatever your stance on that, whether it's nothing, whether it's scary, uh, going into a horrible two weeks of you know, weather, I'm joking. It, it's, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. And so um, much worse times for them. And so that should point us to listening to God's voice. So God's sovereign over all those things. The gospel in Daniel is supposed to be doing stuff in us. So the reason we're going through this, this should be doing stuff inside of us. This should be changing the way we think. This should be changing the way that we think and the way we believe and the way we act. Not necessarily a list of, let's go do things like Daniel did. And so for a couple of generations, that was what was taught. And so um, for the 50s and 60s and 70s, 80s, when people were um, teaching through Daniel, it was Daniel took a stand on this. So Christians, evangelicals, let's gather together. Let's join with a party. And we're going to take a stand like Daniel. And they'd use a Bible verse to use that as, 
Here's our stance. Daniel did this. We must do this. Well, Daniel was faithful. We don't want to take away from that. Daniel's a, a guy who has uh, resolute beliefs, but, but that's not the message of Daniel there. So the message of Daniel is this God's in control because you don't want what Daniel's living out, do we? We, we? Like, I don't want that. Like, I, I know we're privileged. I don't want those necessarily taken away. Like, I'm never the guy going like, let's go doomsday. Like, I'm like, no, I love vacation, soft bed, um, root beer, um, air conditioning. I, I don't want that. And so the gospel in Daniel is one to change us. So are you coming going, so God, what do you want to show me in your word today? in that. So the beautiful stuff here. So um, if you will, let's stand and read Daniel. We're going to go 3 through 21. I'm going to read the first two verses also, just in honor of God's word. If you've got little kids and you need to stay seated, don't worry about it. God will forgive you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. With some, of his vessel, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, a good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that we... You were in worse conditions than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king? And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, just test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and were to drink, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters who were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that, that lifts our hearts. 
in difficult times and uncertain times. Father, thank you that you are um, a gracious God in the middle of uh, things that we go through. Thank you that you give us your word, your promises. Um, God, let us draw out things about you in this that we can see our need for in our own lives and help us to truly have ears to hear and eyes to see. Would you soften our hearts, Father? Um, let there be conviction that, w- that we are granted and that we receive. Let there be um, repentance that, that you have granted and that we receive. Let there be confession and renewal. And let that turn to our resting in you and then rejoicing. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So um, that first section there, um, I just want to hit the last sentence there, just a summary. So, so we read chapter one, you get to the end, and the author does a summary statement. So it happens in the New Testament a lot of times. Uh, we just read over, and we don't know all, all the situations. And for them, they were like, oh, Cyrus? He was their original audience. He was there till Cyrus? So Cyrus comes literally 66 years later. So one, one of the things about that uh, is that's seven decades later. King, King Cyrus is the one who takes control, and so now Persia. So um, earlier, I don't know if I had the slide up there. I, uh, there was a slide that had, so this was um, Assyria right before Daniel hits the scene. Assyria had taken over. So remember when the northern kingdom, that slide ahead of the northern kingdom that fell, Assyria come in and took over, right? And the, the, the big powers in the world at that time, you had Assyria was the biggest dog. Babylon's growing. Egypt was always a problem. And so everyone wanted to watch out for Egypt. You know, they just kind of sit right there at that, that really important place, all the ports and all that. And so, um, but then um, with um, Judah and Israel, they, they, were, they were small little pups. They were not very powerful. The difficulty for Judah and Israel, they were always looking to another nation for protection. And so then when we get to the book of Daniel, then now we've got Babylon coming in. So Assyria had come in and and taken over the northern kingdom, and now you've got Babylon who comes in and takes over the southern kingdom. And so those are the, the power players. And so King Cyrus is all these years later, 66 years later, from verse 1, Daniel and them get taken in, to verse 21, uh, 66 years later, Cyrus, if you remember, um, the third big um, exile was when Nehemiah, and they come in and they destroyed, and so he's from Persia. Cyrus is the Persian king, so original audience is going, you're saying Daniel was still in the land? He was still in exile? He was still living? He never got to come home? He lived under all that stuff all through three waves. So the first one was this group of these young kids. The next one was, uh, these guys are about 14 to 18 years old. The next group was 10,000 that they took out. And then the next group was they took about 90% of the people and left the poor and most marginalized and destroyed the city completely. So three waves. And then you get to Cyrus. So if you're an original audience, you're going, Daniel was there through all of that? Never got to go home. And you remember the story of Nehemiah, what happens? Nehemiah hears about the destruction, third wave, and he goes, he goes to King Cyrus. Hey, could I go back and rebuild the walls? And that's where we get the story of Nehemiah. They go back and rebuild the walls. We've been through that. And so um, beautiful testament of God's faithfulness. Six years later, um, 66 years later, Daniel, perseverance, faithfulness, but never gets what he wants. He never gets to go home. 
So that's, that's a sojourner. That's an exile. Peter, in, in the New Testament, picks up at this, First Peter, talks about you, you are sojourners and exiles. So some of the Jews had been displaced after, the res, after Christ had resurrected and ascended. So remember what happened in Acts chapter 7 and 8, and the, the disciples had to spread out because persecution was so bad. And then Peter writes to this group of exiles, says, you're sojourners and exiles in a land that's not your home. Abstain from all the things of the world. Be faithful to God in this. And so um, he picks up on that same idea. So this is going on with them. Um, that, that first wave, uh, one of the things I want to spend a little bit of time next week is talking about what led up to this. Why did this happen? This goes back to Jehoiakim's great-great-grandfather, Hezekiah. So there have been horrible kings for a long time. Hezekiah is a pretty good guy, makes some good decisions, seems pretty godly, and then he, uh, he makes some bad decisions and makes an alliance with Babylon because Assyria is the power at the time and he makes an alliance with Babylon and God and God and Isaiah come down hard and say you fool I just told you you get 15 more years of life I've spared your life for 15 more years as you were about to die and you go make an alliance with Babylon who are you putting your trust in and it's a sad sad statement that Hezekiah says afterwards in response so um as we look at Daniel, this, this first little section, three through seven, here are some things that people bring up. So first of all, um, the, the issue, here are some things that were taken away from this group of, of guys that came out, 14 to 18 years old. First of all, um, um, were they eunuchs? Um, uh, so early on in, um, I think it's Second Kings, and then also in Jeremiah, it's prophesied God was saying through them that you're going to be taken off and, and your um, lineage are going to turn into eunuchs. So a lot of people take that as a promise, and it means that they were, this group of young boys were turned into eunuchs. And so right away, just thinking through, possibly their gender, and so why would they do that? It takes away their reproduction ability, right? And, and trust me, it wasn't St. Francis or Hillcrest. It wasn't nice. It, it, it wasn't a pretty sight. It's like maybe a rough towel. There you go. We'll see in a few days. That's it. And so it, what, what it did, it shut off the ability to reproduce more people from your own lineage, right? From your own heritage. And so um, that was a huge thing. So we, I mean, hey, 2022, uh, you know, hey, we've got a new president coming in. I, I know the years are, but like 2022, here's a chance this could happen. I mean, you better vote right, right? I mean, that would be a serious deal. We talk about our rights being taken away. Being taken from your home and then having that happen, that's scary. Um, family, you're ripped away from your royal family. They were part of the royal family. Look at the, 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 the language. Of, this is the top 1% um, of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all these things. So they were ripped away from their families, their moms, their dads. These young kids, 14 to 18 years old, uh, are taken away from their family, their grandparents. What, what along with that? My idea of what life is supposed to be like. My idea of, of what it's going to be like in the future. We can't imagine how scary that would be. Um, it, it's just like the Holocaust, uh, taking those, the Jews away and destroying them and killing them. It, it, not only is it physical pain and mental pain and emotional pain and scary and spiritually uh, horrible, but all of us have that idea that we get one life to live. What's that going to be like? And so that idea of your life trajectory ripped away. So those are the things, some of the things that were taken away. Um, where is God when life doesn't turn out like you think it would be? I remember being in my 20s, and I knew everything. I remember being in my 30s, and then looking back and realizing, like, I guess I don't know anything. And then I get into my 40s, and I'm 
talking with guys and coaching different small group leaders and guys that looked really, really good. Their life looked great. They had all life. It looked like they're killing it in life. They're a really faithful church. And then I got alone with them. And then coming about, man, a lot of very scared, insecure, fearful people. That, that really, it looks like we've got it all together. But man, if I was really honest with you, here's what's going on with me and my wife. Here's my concerns about my kids. Here's my concerns about the future. And so those are real things. And that's not a faulty thing. It should point us to Christ. And we should have people, and we should have our minds renewed by that, to think through that. But you get to into your 40s or 50s, and maybe life hasn't turned out exactly like you thought it was going to. So where is God when your life trajectory plan doesn't work out right? Some of you have been through some horrific things. That, that are so devastating. Sometimes it's with um, not being able to have children. Sometimes it's with children and they get diagnosed with something. Sometimes it's with your, your parents. They get diagnosed with something. You start going through these things. Your own body starts going through changes. I, I literally injure myself just getting out of bed most times in the morning. And so life doesn't turn out exactly like you thought. And so where, where's this good God in the middle of that? That was the question Israel was asking um, the reason that they took these people away, these young youths, they were, they were the leaders of that country, they would take them for three years and train them, and they would either keep them in Babylon in their cities, or they would send them back. So remember in the New Testament why everyone hated Matthew, the tax collector? Because, you know, tax collectors were hated by the Jews because they were Jewish, but my job is to take taxes from you guys and give it to Rome, but then anything over the top of that so I can kind of look what you've got, look what you drive, look what you own, and go, hey, I, I want about 20% more. Oh, you got a problem? Roman guys, forces, let's go take them. And so it was a done deal. And so I got to take anything on top of the taxes. So remember they hated tax collectors? Well, this is what they were setting. This is what nations and, and kings did. They would take their own, the, the people from the, the, the land that they had subjected, and they would take them, train them, and then they would send them back to their cities as now a Babylonian who had a Hebrew background. So that was the plan to keep control. Now they've been completely indoctrinated. And so um, this indoctrination, um, we're going to hit on a second the, the daily portion of food and wine. But the, the training and indoctrination, here's what was given in return. We're taking these things away from you, but here's what you get in return. A training and indoctrination process, three years, reorienting them. So University of Babylon, just re-educating them. And here's our um, education. Here's our history. And it was steeped in how great the kings were, right? And then here's um, kind of the world, very egocentric view. Their history is kind of written around that. There are other nations that do that. And so a very egocentric view, uh, like we're kind of the best. Here's our history. We'll write it that way. But then also what people don't realize is um, they were also um, very um, satanic in the way that their worship was. It was false gods. And so they also had to study, start studying omens and dreams and those type things. And so they were immersed in that also. Um, so it was very difficult. Their names, at the end of that section, it talks about their names. They had God-honoring names that were changed. And so I've got a slide up here showing. So Daniel was, God is my judge. And then it's changed to Belteshazzar. Bell was one of the false gods. Bell's prince, protector of life. Man, who would want a name change like that? Hananiah, beloved by the Lord. Yah, so remember, Yah, that was the way they said Yahweh, and you wouldn't even say it. So they wouldn't even say the word Yah. And so, um, but Yah has been gracious. It's changed to Shadrach. Marduk, it's tied to Marduk, which is the, the main god, the, the number one god. And so um, just the name Shadrach is tied to Marduk. 
their main God, their false God. Mishael, yeah, is my help to Abednego, the servant of Nego, slaying of Nebu. And so um, Nebu, remember the God that we talked about originally. So they're changing from God-honoring names to names that are tied to satanic worship. The people, this meant a big deal. They wouldn't have included this little insert if, if those original audience didn't see this. Like, oh, they're taking our Hebrew names that mean so much to us, and they're shaming that, and now tying our names to um, these false gods and the false religions. Azariah, who is what God is, to Meshach, who is like Venus. So some incredible things that they had happened to them. In that second section there, 8 through 16, we get to this part where it's Daniel's resolve. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. And so um, notice, notice what happens there in, in that very first um, section in verse 8. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And it says, and God gave. Notice the, the, the particular um, purpose of the writer. He asked, God gave. Do you see, what caused Daniel to ask? A trust in God's sovereignty, just like we sang earlier. Is there the chance that our individualistic American version of the Christianity, we don't ask anymore? We're Christians. You better get it right. You better get my meal right. You better make sure that my water's filled. You better treat my kids like I want them treated. You better do church like I want it. You better make sure our government and policies and legislature is like I want because I'm a Christian. So we can see sometimes how this humility and this posture of Daniel, it's not only his faithfulness, it's the way he goes about faithfulness. So I think there's some things that we can learn from that. So God's favor is on him. Um, this is a section where it says that he, Daniel made, he resolved not to eat of the, the king's food or the, the, the wine that the king had. So there's been in the 50s and 60s, when the 60s were getting wild, that was when the huge, everyone in the church said alcohol. Alcohol is the devil. So you know, stay away. So they used like this verse to say, see, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. Daniel didn't. That, that was not the point of that. Um, where one guy, uh, you've probably read about this, the, the Daniel diet. And so this is where people get the Daniel diet. And so it's, it's doing away with all these things. It's, it's grains and vegetables. He's made millions on millions of dollars. And so what he was saying was, I'm a doctor. Uh, scientifically, this was actually supposed to be God's plan from the beginning. We all should go to this. It cures cancer. Your health is great. You'll live longer. It's all these things because he secretly kind of tucked it away in Daniel, this secret diet that we're actually always, we were supposed to be on. That's not what this is saying at all. That was not it. He made millions. Um, he just kind of cherry-picked this two sentences out of this. It's, it's not a meal plan of the most godly people will follow this. And so um, just know that there's nothing about that. I know we've got some people who have dropped food that had parents at some time. And so if you all went to the plant-based diet, it's, it's not an attack on that or anything at all. That's really probably a good, healthy thing. Um, notice with this case, by them going to vegetables and water and, and fruits, they got fatter is what it says. They beefed up. And so they looked as healthy as the people that were eating the, the stuff with all the fat in it. And so um, the question that people have searched for for like 2,600 years is what made him take a stance on this? So I want us to camp out here and think through this. So what was it 
about the food and the wine. So there's been four main answers over 2,600 years, lots of theologians and scholars. And so the first one was, is it, was it defiling? Was it unclean, ceremonially unclean, according to like Leviticus, right? So think about the, the Jews, even to this day, all the, the dietary laws that they had. So was that it? Well, um, the other things that they ate, there were several things that were tied to that that they couldn't eat. Later on, Daniel and the boys, they eat of the king's stuff. So it wasn't necessarily a, a defilement on unclean things. So it wasn't, they were defiled by that. Um, we could have fun here. We, we could just uh, make this a multiple choice and like everyone could raise their hand on the four choices like, uh, this would be my stance. So I could throw out there, hey, defilement. And then people's like, yeah, that would be the one I would take. Um, and then we could get to the end and see what it is. Um, the second one is demonic. Um, was it food that was sacrificed to idols? It probably was some of it. And so um, some was prepared for the king, but then there's also stuff that was sacrificed to idols. And so um, when you, um, you're not supposed to partake of those things, Jamie and I have been in some mission situations where um, we would teach the students that were with us, college students, like when we go to this place, they're going to offer us all this stuff. And, and an hour earlier when we were watching their worship ceremony at like a Hindu temple, they will take some of that stuff and they will put it on platters and they eat it. They think that that's part of the good deal. And so um, we, we would have to coach people and say, hey, don't just say, no, 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 that's all right. Thank you. You know, we, we want to be honoring everything. We don't want to be disrespectful, but we're not going to partake. And they everyone always usually understands. Um, it gets more difficult and dicey if, if you're living as a missionary or you were living in a missionary and some, and some people you know, had you over for tea and, and a little snack and then you ate or partook of it and then later on they said, oh, actually we got this from our temple. So the, the whole deal there is God's not mad at you. God's not mad at a mistake. God's not going to curse you. You're not going to have insides falling out. And so th that's not the point of those things. And so um, the demonic, it, it probably was tied to idols, but again, later on they eat it. And also the fruit and grain and vegetables, they were awful, also offered to um, idols. So they, they partook of those things. Um, was it dependence? Well, it couldn't have been just dependence because everything else was dependent upon the king also. Everything they got, their clothes, and their education, the food that they got, everything was still dependent on King, king Nebuchadnezzar. So um, some referred to it um, as this defensive view, an issue of faithfulness to God. Um, saying, I'm not going to buy into all this that you're doing. I'm not going to swear my allegiance to you. Like, and like I said, next week we're going to look at this. How did we get here? It goes back to Hezekiah 150 years earlier where it was his allegiance and he sold out Israel um, and, and then Babylon comes in and takes over because of an allegiance. So um, some people think, hey, that's the, that, that's the reason. But here's something to think through. The point is this. It's not a prescriptive stance. So I want to do a little side note here as we get into Daniel. But just because of the times that we're in, um, it's not a prescriptive stance. God nor Daniel, neither one tells us, do this same thing based on this reason. Do this rule based on this reason. In fact, it was secret. Nebuchadnezzar, the other kids that were exiled, it was just Daniel and the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that abstained. No one even knew. Nobody knew it except just that eunuch. They weren't making a spectacle of their stance. They weren't making a spectacle. We're gonna, we've got to take a stand on this. Do you see the humility? What, what did Daniel do? He asked, trusting in God's sovereignty. Do you see his posture? Do you see the humility? They were making um, 
they weren't making a spectacle of their sins, but yet we do it in different, day, different ways. It's not us refusing a king's food or drink because of our stance of faithfulness, but it might be our views on church policies. It may be our views on church services, child raising, children's education, where you work, social injustice, the poor, the marginalized, adoption. Um, I've never been attacked by outside people, outside the church, but on every one of those I've mentioned, I've had over 30 arguments or attacks from people inside the church about, Sankey, I can't believe, I can't believe you don't have this stance. I can't believe that this is not, you see what we do here? We have this stance and we take it and we, we usually move it up to where now it's biblical and I get a couple of verses and now this is the stance and I can't believe you pitiful people are so bad that you don't have my same stance. It's destroying so much inside the church. How can't you see that children starving globally, that's the greatest travesty of our time. Can't you see that marginalized poor, that's the greatest travesty of our time. Can't you see that, that racism and the abuses that go on? That's the greatest travesty of our time. Can't you see uh, killing unborn babies, uh, abortion? That's the greatest travesty of our times. Can't you see that the attack on family and marriage? That's the greatest travesty. Do you see what we do? What's yours? Pick one. And then judge everyone around you for not having the same stance as strong as you and communicate the same way. What's your posture? What's our posture in those things? And, and what kills me is we think that everyone's understanding and we're taking this stand because I have a right here in America to do this. And we're destroying each other inside the church and the lost world. Are you kidding me? I'm going to listen to you guys. The lost world, we have no witness at all. And we're shocked. We're shocked that it's not working. And yet in, in, in the global south or in China where the church is persecuted and they don't have all the rights and freedoms and opinions and, and preferences, the church is exploding underground. In the global south, there are people coming across because it's about Christ and not, not what your little stance is on, on what your kids are doing or what they're wearing or where they're going to school or what, you, what, what your stance is on the church service, the way it's, what it's supposed to be like or, or any number of those things. And inside the church, we're killing each other. Man, anyone remember I Kiss Dating Goodbye? And the 30 rules in the book? How's that working out for you, Josh Harris? I mean, now the guy says, oh, hey, that was so jacked up and legalistic. Like, I'm not a Christian anymore. That's a crazy God. If that's the kind of God, and the whole, the whole world the whole time was going, yeah, that, that seems kind of cultish almost. That seems kind of weird. And so, man, I, I, and I'm... And, don't, don't hear me say the wrong thing. So what I'm not saying is, so if, you, if you, you know, we had friends that said, you know, we, we decided we would never touch pinkies or hold hands before we were married. And that was like this ministry, like, wow, that's serious commitment. That is faithful. That is godliness. Like, I'm going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And so hey, we will never kiss. We will never hold hands. We'll never have boyfriends and girlfriends. We will never, that, that may be fine. You may decide on that. But don't judge other people if, if you hear their however old kids say, oh, I've got this girl that I really like. Oh, ungodliness. 
The guy who wrote the book with all the rules says he's not a believer. That's a crazy, whacked out God is what he's saying. And so, and we fall right into it, especially those of us who go, we want convictions. Doctrine does matter. And people around us are going, that's a little cultish. Just, just try to be a posture of loving kindness. Try to be a posture of patience. Uh, like, like I said, Jamie and I are reading two books right now. One was talking about this girl, she's this woman who come out of all this stuff in Y2K. Her dad was abusive, worrying about Y2K. And they had all this stuff stocked up because Y2K was when Christ was going to come back and he was the only one who was right. And we're doing okay in 2021, right? I don't know what the guy's doing when the pandemic hit. So I'm not saying your kid that God wants your kids to hold hands before 30 or kiss before marriage or date before 25. That, that, he, that, that's not the point. He, he might, and they may have a better marriage than you and I, right? And it's like they go off the tracks at like 16 or 17, and they're like, they're happier and more in love than we are. And so that can happen. But let's just be careful with our posture and our stances to where uh, we can have a strong biblical stance and have convictions, but the way that it's communicated in it is a posture of love and grace and patience. Um, and part of that is us being self-aware. With the boys, we're going through this whole self-awareness thing right now. And so just be aware. If you're more prone to those type of things and you like things put away and rigid, just know you're like that. And so don't put your hope and trust in, in rules and, and lists. They're never going to save. Is it good to have good things like that, to, to, to be honoring in God? Yes. Is it good to have wisdom? That, that's completely what I'm saying. We just have to watch out for when we, we take that and we take my stance um, so Daniel's faithfulness, his resolve, be resolved like Daniel. So I could go in right now, just like the last you know, 40 years and give you, here's what you should do. Good Christian man, never betray your wife, be resolved to be committed. Christian woman, be resolved, commit to your marriage. I, I think that's the given. I think most people have heard that raise your children in God. I, I think if, if you're sitting in this group, you've probably heard that. What we aren't doing well is the way that we hold our stances if we're not judgmental towards others. Or I'm so rigid that I will fight you over it because I've got three verses that back it up. And again, it's destroying the church on the inside and completely destroying our witness on the outside. And we don't even see it. The church doesn't even see it. So we've got to think through that. Our problem with faithfulness is not that we, that, that we don't want to be faithful to God, but it's faithful to what? More faithful on personal stances than to God? Which one would you have picked the, the four that I mentioned with Daniel? Dietary? Which one would you not have done? So when it comes down to them being moved off, here's some things that they went through. Think about this, a, a, a church group of 100 people. 20 people might abstain due to the dietary laws, right? It's dietary. We're breaking the laws of Leviticus. 20 people might be fine with partaking of the food, but they'd take a different stance. We would die before we will be taken off. If they're coming down the road and they're going to take us off to Babylon to worship false gods and learn about the religion, I will die first. We will take up arms and fight. Anyone like that one? Pretty good. Um, another 20 people might humbly and respectfully be willing to be taken off, might be fine with taking the food and wine. Like, hey, I mean, you know, bad year, we're here, but man, we get some good food and wine, and here's a plus in a down, down situation. But what they decided was, I will not allow my name that is tied to my God to be ripped away from me. My identity, my heritage, you will not change my name. I will fight on this one. Here's my stance. 
or another 20 people. They may trust in all of those things, but they cannot take away their worship. Even though they no longer get to go to temple, they no longer get to sing their worship songs, but for them, they will not be indoctrinated into the whole culture. And so we've got to think through. Any group of 20 of us might take any of those stances, and if we're not careful, I get my 19 over here, and you're all pitiful in the church. And you're all pitiful in the church. And hey, don't even get me started about these pitiful people outside. In the last 40 or 50 years, that's what the church has done. And now we wonder why they're not hearing our message. So Daniel trusts in God's sovereignty. God gave four times it mentions it in Hebrew. God gave. Through all this, God is going, I'm there for you. I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. Are there things that we can learn from Daniel? Here's some things to take away. Um, Daniel's faithfulness. Qualities we see, faithfulness and resolve, trusting God. Are you resolved to follow Christ no matter what happens with our country? Are you resolved to follow Christ no matter what happens as things change politically? If they say in five years or 10 years, um, you can't meet as a group together, will you be resolved like the other places say, we're still going to meet as believers. You may keep us out of big buildings of 1,000 or 500, 200, but we are still going to meet and congregate. If they come in and take Bibles away, just think we had four generations, freedom of religion, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift of grace from God. Are you preparing your kids to be resolved Man, it goes from like me talking about this stuff at the table to like they start raising like questions like, are you saying people are coming with guns and taking away? And you're like, uh, no, I don't think so, but, but would you still be committed? So I, you know, it, they, kids raise really good questions. So are you preparing them to live out a faith in a country that's much different than the, the country that your grandparents and your parents grew up in? Or are you, are you have that kind of resolve? If we look at God as the author, um, who, who was the key figure in chapter 1? What do we learn and see about God in chapter 1, not so much just Daniel? What do we see about God over and over? Repeated faithfulness, repeated faithfulness. 66 years. Daniel, did he get what he wanted? Life back, the promised land, the promised people, the promised Messiah? Didn't get any of those three. Was living in oppression and, and physical abuses. I mean, we're going to see this guy's uh, just uh, psychotic, this king. He, he tries to kill them for everything. But resolve. Are you resolved to be faithfulness towards God? And then, if you do have resolutions and biblical convictions, what is your posture? In what manner are you holding to them and communicating them? Sometimes the church is more tied to faithfulness to any number of things. So it may be your kid's success. I'm surrounded by it. Uh, you, if you guys have kids in sports, you're like, we just come to play soccer. We just wanted to hit a ball or kick a ball. I didn't know you all were going to be nuts, right? And so um, they, they just kid's success. Like they're, they're in second grade. They're seven. And they're thinking, they're already talking like pro level. Like we're doing this and this and this. Our kid's going to do this and this. And like, hey, your kid is picking his nose and eating it a lot also. Maybe you'd focus on that a little bit and, and not worry about the $100,000 scholarship. So kids who can't pour water out of a boot, but yet they think that oh, our kids are 
and, and it's surrounding us. It, it's up to here. Your kid's success, your kid's future, whether that's academics, whether that's their future career. And that's not evil to think about those things. That's wise to think about those. It's not evil. I want it, but it can't be number one. Your health, scary pandemic year. Where, where's your trust? You're more faithful and concerned about your own personal health. Life is a vapor. Death is coming for each one of us. We don't have to fear this. Your planned life trajectory, you're more faithful to that. Got your goals set out and you're, you're killing it and killing it. Kill. Don't have time to meet with people. Don't have time to make disciples. Don't have time for my family because I'm killing this life trajectory. You're more faithful to that. Christian nationalism. Um, sometimes with our politics, the things that happen, now we, we, we take these things together and I'm more faithful to that and that goal and that ideology than biblical Christianity. Personal wealth, security, have I become so attached to, so immersed in some ideology or something with little critical questioning that it's become the main object that I'm faithful to instead of this God? And chapter one shows us Daniel was focused on God and God was providing all along. It wasn't nice. Maybe a eunuch, names destroyed, no, no family, everything ripped away from them, eating horrible food everything's miserable, taken away from homeland, and you don't even know, you have the uncertainty of, I don't know if it will ever go back to normalcy. Do you see the grace that we live in compared to that? And then at the end, almost the bad news, the author purposely puts, and he was there 66 years till Cyrus came and living in that, and God was faithful. So God is faithful now and in our coming days. What does it look like for you to be loyal and faithful to the true king in a time like this, in a culture like this. So if you're a husband, you're, you're a, um, a single man, you're, you're a young child, you're a boy, you're a girl going to school, what does faithfulness look like when everyone around you is, is looking at other things and being distracted by other things? If you're a, a husband, a, a wife, what does faithfulness look like in a time like this? What does faithfulness to the king look like? As we go into our time of the Lord's Supper, Daniel was um, thinking through and having to deal with this issue of abstaining from food and wine. I think purposely those two things mentioned because God knew there was going to be a Lord's Supper coming in the future. So in that Daniel has to abstain and not take part. And then later on we know, just like with Adam and Eve, eat. It's, it's all good. All of this is good. All of this is for you. It's for your good. It's for your flourishing. This, do not. This picture of sin. All of this is for you. And even in Daniel, this is not harmful. God didn't say you can't do that, but he abstains from this. He doesn't partake of the food and the wine. And then we go forward and forward and forward in God's um, redemptive history, and we see him get to the point of Christ, where we find out that Christ and the early church were talking through, take this, my body, break it, eat my body, eat my flesh. So much so that people thought that they were flesh eaters, they were cannibals. At the early church, first 30 years, in every city, they're going, there's a group of cannibals, a cult. They, they save that, that peasant guy, and they, they're taking bits of his body, and they're eating it because they heard of eating his flesh and drinking of his blood. 
So much so that people were willing to take that scorn, and that was the confusion. And so Daniel had to abstain from eating and drinking. We get the beauty of partaking. So um, here at Sojourn, we always have a time where we do the Lord's Supper with um, open um, communion, where if you're a believer in good standing of another church, um, you're welcome to partake with us. You're welcome to um, be a part of that. If, if you're not under church discipline, if you're a believer who's been baptized, we want you to uh, partake with us. That's open communion. Closed communion uh, is where um, maybe you're in, under church discipline somewhere else. Uh, maybe you're not in good standing with your uh, church and the membership there. Also for non-believers, this is something that you would look at and say, I, I cannot partake of because Christ hasn't renewed me. Um, I don't. I haven't received salvation from him. So for you, if you're not a believer, not a follower of Christ yet, uh, this is where we guard the table and we say, you do not partake, but instead look to Christ right now. For the first time, cry out to Christ for mercy, for grace. Cry out to Christ for salvation. So for some of the children that are here, for some of the adults that are here, um, thinking through, I'm not going to partake, but I want this gospel for myself. I receive the, the gift of grace that you've given me. I want to partake of that. I ask for you to forgive me for my sins. I cry out to you for mercy. That's what this time is for, for us to take and put his body and blood and the cross central, for us to think through and contemplate that. Daniel, not getting to partake of the food and wine at that day, later on, Jesus crying out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we wouldn't be forsaken. He did without so that we could partake of all that he is. And so we get that opportunity. I'm going to give you a few moments just to pray in response to that, to think through Daniel, what his faithfulness looked like, but also to think through the Lord's Supper. And then I'll have Jason come up and start some music in a second. And um, but I want to give you some time just to respond.